Good day. Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Welcome to this wonderful dialogue I had with Curtis Stone of From the Field TV. Curtis has been just an awesome resource. I just had to, I hate to be so dry about it, but you talk about one of the more prolific people that you can listen to if you want to get productive. My goodness, Curtis is at the top of the list. Uh, my introduction to permaculture was with a gentleman that was uh, grew up in the city of San Jose, Costa Rica, and uh, he loved rooftop gardens and, you know, just growing all this wonderful produce and just in this little small little part of uh, a balcony that his grandmother had in downtown San Jose, and he ended up being the farm manager of this this area that uh, my my ex and I were thinking of investing into, and uh, we became fast friends. And he was just prolific, also <laughs> in his love of of what he called urban permaculture, uh, permeated the actual real permaculture. And I just, as an efficiency nut. Um, I was just like, my goodness, you can use everything. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know at the time I, I was, uh, I was growing into becoming a, a, a dumpster diver extraordinaire, like recycling, repurposing, just the whole world of making one man's trash, another man's treasure type thing. Well, in somewhat of a similar vein, Curtis Stone is one of these people that can look at any situation and find that golden arc that's needed to make it productive. And this is a total mindset of abundance. And once you start to see, man, you can you can modify earth, you can modify all these things, you can you can induce these natural systems to be productive. Uh, it just ingratiates your life with a ton of abundance. And this is something that I think a lot of people have been uh, dumbed down to through convenience. So enjoy this podcast with Curtis and I'll see you on the flip side. Welcome Curtis Stone to the BioCharisma podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. So I was just describing to you the, the, the flooding that happened last night. So we, we don't quite have the off grid uh, homestead that you have, but we have a house at the end of the road with nothing around it. It is grid tie, but uh, it was a house that was built in 1967. And oh, it, yeah. it has the uh, what they call the Ozark special add-ons, meaning every extension uh -huh. that they did for the house, they didn't really plan with how to route water. <laughs> All right, fuck. <laughs> So I have a sunroom on this side that's not really a sunroom, it's a wet room. And then my entire basement is flooded. I shouldn't say entire basement is flooded. Two-thirds of it has water on the ground. But um, yeah, I'm going to have to figure out a whole channeling mechanism. I'm thinking I'm going to do like an earth bag garden wall that will also act as a berm. And I'll run it directly north-south on my property and I'll use it as a break. So whatever water is coming down the hill, cause this house is at yep. the bottom of the hill, it will divert the water to like the, the, the culvert that's closest that can actually handle that amount of water. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just dig a trench 
You could just <laughs> get well, a have, mini excavator and just dig a positive swale and dump it all one direction. The problem is, so check this out, because we're next to a lake easement, uh, it's a conservation easement, we have to pump our black water up the hill. That's fucking retarded. This is government, right? Leave it to government to um, make something so ridiculous and, and potentially environmentally hazardous. What a right. joke. So check this out. Two o'clock in the morning, I hear the alarm going off for the, essentially the alarm goes off at our septic when there is no more area for the black water to go. So the alarm yeah. goes, I have to flip a switch so that the pump then shoots, shoots, the, ejects everything 300 yards up the hill. Now it's only probably, crazy. it's probably like a six or 7% grade. But that's like a lot to to shoot up the hill. Yeah, it is. And as, imagine in a grid down scenario, if you had to do that, you'd be swimming in shit very quickly. Well, the, I think the way they originally had this house, because this was just a little cabin, it was a one bedroom cabin that they tried to make into like a, a, a three bedroom with solarium and all this other stuff. I think they just got too big for their britches and they didn't really under they didn't understand what they were sitting on. You know, they were like a retirement couple from the city. Yeah. And um, the way it's originally designed where the original septic is, it actually has a culvert right next to it where the overflow would then just go downhill. I see. Yeah. 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 To the river. But now the city, the, the, the county says that that's, you're, you're not allowed to do that. So it, it complicates things. It, it makes for like ah. a, a uh, two o'clock, you know, in the morning digging a nice yeah, little, right. nice little cold affair. Oh my goodness. So that was my night. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so Mr. Curtis speaking of off grid, this is perfect that this happened to me last night because, uh, you and I've had quite a bunch of experience of being, off-grid or semi-off-grid and having to essentially become master problem solvers. I came yeah. across your work, God, a friend of mine um, who was really into urban permaculture. He was like an urban permi. He turned me on to your work years ago. And because uh, that's his, he's like, he, he kind of trained me in the rainforest where we were in Costa Rica. But okay. he always liked the cityscape urban permaculture scene. So he turned me on to yeah. you. So I've been tracking you for quite a few years now, and I'm just so happy to have you on on the podcast. Nice. And, uh, get get to talk to you about your massive off grid project that you got going on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, man. So it's uh, yeah, we got a lot going on up here. My world's very different than when I was doing urban stuff, mm -hmm. and I'm glad it is because I can't imagine doing anything in cities anymore. Now that I live the way I do, we have so much, we have so much privacy up here. It's just like, we can just exist, you know, like even before I got into any of this stuff, I mean, when I was like 16 years old, I remember just being thinking to myself, why can't we just live? Like, why can't, why do we have to mm -hmm. pay taxes and fill out applications and, and, and get licenses and all this bullshit? Why can't we just exist? And uh, that was like the beginning of my sort of philosophical conundrum of, you know, realizing I was sort of an anarchist in some ways and, 
and also being so drawn to the ideas of permaculture and off-grid living and all that. And now we're, we're doing it as best as we can. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's uh, yeah, it's a dream come true. And it's, I get every day I get to just choose what I want to do really. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things to do. There's no shortage of chores um, and the systems for those are getting better as time goes on. And then there's of course the build project of my house. There's still a lot of earthworks and broad acre permaculture stuff I'm going to be doing this year with the installation of a few ponds and some big positive swales that move snow melt and rain shedding in directions to get into those water, uh, little watersheds. And yeah, it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. It's like, I've wanted to do this stuff forever. And I only ever got into urban farming really. So I could do this. Right. Urban farming was my vehicle because I had no, I had no real skills when I got in. I mean, I, I was a, a trained musician. That's, that was my skill. And I'd always been okay with tools and working hard because I was a tree planter in BC. But um, yeah, getting into urban farming was my way of just kind of shooting first, ask questions later. It was like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't have an in into agriculture in any way, but I did it because I was like, hey, well, there's a demand for this and I I can probably figure this out. And so I did it and I, because I couldn't buy land. So I would have just gone to this what I'm doing now from the beginning. That's all mm-hmm. I wanted to do was be off grid, grow my own food, have a family and do all this stuff. Um, but the urban thing was a way for me to accumulate capital in many ways, right? By uh, uh, knowledge capital, like experiential capital, money itself, capital, and then all the while build up to do this so that when the time came to do this, not only would I have the capital, but I also have the skill base. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, cause here I'm acting as a general contractor for all the building, but I'm also developing the land, right. And doing all the, the land-based stuff. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun to have that level of terraforming and that much acreage and to see the whole vision. Um, I, I know that you are sort of a self-proclaimed, like, you know, just go no paralysis by analysis type deal. Yeah, I, yeah. Fi- I, I find myself the same way, but it's also fun. Like when you actually get to a certain stage in life where you can have the bird's eye view and go, okay, the overall context for this place is abundance yeah. protection, you know, whatever the, the, your, your household or your, your farm context is, fertility production and just have that as your bird's eye view and then know that it can happen like know that you can make it happen is tremendous it is yeah it's quite liberating i mean and and to be where i am now because yeah i'm like i I guess i'm a i'm a a general contractor i can do a lot of things i have a lot of skills now i can i can build i can frame i can do renovations Mm -hmm. i can run machinery i can fix equipment um yeah I'm a, I'm a fairly good heavy machine operator now um and i have all the skills to grow food it's yeah it's a liberating thing i mean i i, I think it's sort of taking a snapshot in time right now i'm i'm 43 and uh i started this journey when i was uh 30 really mm-hmm. um and i remember my, the first time i'd grown my own food is when I, when i was getting my farm started and the, you know, I, I started as a commercial farmer. I'd never even gardened in my life. I just started as a farmer. I just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out, figure it out as I go. And I did. And I remember it's like late April in the first year I started my farm, which would have been uh, 2010. I remember, you know, harvesting my first salad from the field. And, and it was just mm-hmm. such a, 
such a monumental experience to feel like, Hey, I grew something. I made something, I created life. And then that life can give life. And, you know, you get into this whole philosophical rabbit hole of the, the idea of abundance and where that can take you. And then and I kind of imagine in time, what, it, how liberating and, and exciting that was at that time. And then coming full circle to hear where I am now and all I'm doing now, it's, yeah, it's quite a journey. It's been a lot yeah. and it's been just, yeah, just a journey of abundance and, um, yeah, exploring, but just kind of just taking risks and chances and just doing things, not asking permission for anything and just fucking doing it. And it's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. You and I have that parallel. Cause I didn't get into organic farming till I was 30, right after my Saturn return. And it was by accident. It was even by uh, n nothing like you in the sense, like you had the context. Okay. I'm going to do this, but I just ended up living on an organic farm. Okay. In, in the middle of the rainforest and like with no job and no money. And it was like, how can I, how can I be productive? Okay. You can, you can manage our greenhouses. And right. so, yeah. but what a wonderful thing to see, like at age 30, be like, oh my God, there's no such thing as scarcity. Yeah. Scarcity is a scarcity is, is engineered. A better way of saying it is mm -hmm. scarcity is engineered. It's, it's not yeah. a natural phenomenon. No, it's not. It's not at all. It's uh, yeah. And that's kind of where we're at is, um, you know, to pull the lens back really far to the 30,000 foot view, I guess you could say, yeah, humanity is awakening to the engineered um, scarcity that's been really thrust upon humanity. I mean, it has been for a very long time and it's been a constant, a constant uh, scaling up or scaling down, however you want to look at it. But yeah, we're really seeing that now. And and just the fear on top of that too, with, with kind of where a lot of people in society are, you know, two years of lockdowns and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, people, and, and then of course the impending, we all know where the new world order narrative is going next, right? It's going, going to go double back down on climate change. Mm -hmm. And that's the ultimate scarcity because then it's everything becomes down to water scarcity and food scarcity and then oh supply chain breakdowns and oh grid shutdowns and and all these things that don't have to exist but they do because humanity has been too comfortable for too long coming you know coming out of the the baby boomers coming out of much an era of abundance mm -hmm. and uh thinking it was all easy come easy go and then let it getting too comfortable and that the the state and the large corporations have have taken over all those conveniences and positioned people into a very vulnerable state where they don't have skills to do things. They don't have the means to just work somewhere else or live somewhere else and grow their own food and all these things. And so people are so pinched into that manufactured scarcity. And yet it is quite a juxtaposition when you have the perspective that we do. Mm -hmm. And then you think about the position that most people are in you know, I don't have fear and I don't get fearful about any of this stuff, but you look at that and go, yeah, that's fucking concerning. <laughs> yeah. It's partly why it's, it's, it's partly why I live where I do It's in a very remote area of Southern British Columbia in the mountains. And I'm completely removed from the, uh, you know, the zombie, <laughs> the zombie, the zombified masses who might find themselves in a position of starvation or desperation as this new world order machine continues to turn the dial of scarcity up. So one of the big things that off-griders rarely ever consider, and I want to know how, if, if, if this is too personal of a question, then just, you know, smack me. 
one of the big questions or one of the considerations that they don't really look at is social life because yes. we we are social creatures at least my wife and i are social creatures so when we left costa we moved to this farm in arkansas beautiful land stunning everything but there was no one yeah like when i say there was no one that we could relate to i mean i am not kidding all yeah. of our friends were like you know god love them they're all geriatric you know yeah, yeah, they were yeah, they yeah, weren't yeah. in they weren't in the same stage of life. There wasn't like the same vitality. There there wasn't the production mindset. None of that. No kids, and yeah. so we were like, oh my god, we're gonna we're gonna die on the vine here unless we unless we find people. And yeah. when you in this area of BC that you're at, do you have do you have that social? Huge. especially especially for women like women yeah. oh yeah no our social network's unbelievable here and it was Great. part of the reason why we moved here um we knew, we knew some people in the area and there's just been a lot of people that have escaped the city over the last three years really and so yeah we're in an area uh there's a huge social network i mean we're in a small area so it's really neat because the the lockdowns and all that stuff mobilized motivated people and so, yeah, we're in an area where there's a lot of motivated people um, around our age and younger. A number of our friends that have families are younger. My wife and I are 43 and our kids are five and three. And um, yeah, there's a lot of young families here. So families that are kind of in their mid thirties with two, three, sometimes four kids. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a huge, it's a huge network. And and we're both, we're both super social. I, I'm more extroverted than my wife is, but we're both fairly social and we like to have friends. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing for that. And yeah, no, that's a super important consideration. And I think it's one thing that a lot of off graders overlook because they think they can just do the, the whole like um, hunker down and, and do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's impractical. It is. And too, like I'm, I'm a fairly skilled, skilled tradesman in many ways, but um, I still need, guys helping me. I can't do all this stuff myself, at least on my timeline. Yeah. If I wanted to chip away at it for the next five years, sure. But I don't, I, I want to get it done. I actually want to spend my money. I'm kind of like, I'm spending money as fast as I make it these days because I don't want to sit on cash and um, right. I want to get it into hard assets and just, I know what's coming. And so I'm just, we're just setting up for that. And yeah, no, but the social element is, is crucial. Yeah, because you know, a dollar today or a dollar yesterday is worth a lot more than a dollar tomorrow. So, gotta spend it, gotta go. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, you know, I've interviewed and I've been friends like in this in this network of like people that are actually living a, a objective, observational at, like landscaping, like. And the, the reason why I say that is because I don't like using the word truther anymore because there's so much BS truther stuff out there. Like it's essentially, it's essentially problem solving people, like people that look and go, okay, X, Y, and Z is occurring. If yeah. this, then that we got to do this. We have to, this is the way we hedge, whatever. Yep. What I'm noticing in this area and the, my friends that are all around the world is there is tremendous weather modification huge have you, have you been in the same area of canada your entire life more or less yeah well no i lived on no, no i lived on the east i lived in montreal for almost 10 years okay. um 
And so that was all my twenties basically. But yeah, I've been, I have been on the majority of my life. I've been on the West coast, the West side mm -hmm. on the coast. So yeah. what I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to somehow, some way get to what the actual natural weather pattern is. Yes. Because when I was a kid, just to give you a little backstory, I lived in South Florida and my dad and I would get this grid map and every hurricane season we used to, you know, grid, he showed me how to use a plot map and we would plot map the hurricanes. Yeah. They come off the, the, the ivory coast of Africa, they come across the equator yep. and they all had yep. this nice parabolic arc and all this type yep. of stuff. And like, it was like one of the first times I ever looked at a map and learned the Caribbean islands and it was very consistent. You know, every Consistent. once in a while, yes. yeah, every once in a while, you'd get one that would like do like a beeline towards Central America or one that would go in the Gulf of Mexico or normally they would just do this loop into the Atlantic. Right. But it was like yeah. there was only like four different trajectories of these arcs of these storms. Yep. And I love doing it with my dad because he loved doing it. He would get on the CB sometimes and he would talk to people at the airport. It was just like a fun father son thing. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, 20 something years and it's 2004. I buy my first house in South Florida and there's this hurricane over Honduras called Katrina. And I, I the only reason why I knew Katrina was even there is because I had a Honduran friend whose family was getting inundated. And there was all these mudslides there and he told me about the horror that happens. And so we start tracking Katrina and it's already to the to the west of us so you know honduras is over here florida is here and so i'm like oh this won't be a big deal it comes up north and then heads due west or due east excuse me towards florida ends up going over my house in palm beach county goes Whoa. out out to the i forget which island it was in the in the caribbean it could have been Bermuda, hits Bermuda, then does 180 degrees backwards, then goes through the county below me to the south of me, Fort Lauderdale, runs over my mom's house, then hits the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, and then makes a 90 degree turn and then accelerates. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just... It was like somebody was had a joystick. And was yeah, just, literally. Just well, that's... To... Yeah. So I'm in... The reason why I even bring this up isn't like a, oh, woe is me thing. I bring it up because I'm building my new home yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to hedge. <laughs> I've tried to prepare for all the shenanigans that are going on in a way that's, that's intelligent. And, um, the, the reason why I want to ask you, cause you're an observant dude is like, what type of weather modification are you actually watching happening around you? And, the old timers in your area, how drastic are they actually even saying it is? Yeah. So no, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. And I thought about this a lot when I moved here. So I, I've been awake to this shit for a long time, mm -hmm. the geoengineering and all that stuff, <clears throat> but I've also been really rooted in um, ob observing climate and geography and all kinds of things based in, you know, working on the land, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, even just as being a farmer that spends, you know, 16 to 18 hours a day outside uh in the, in the growing season you you learn a lot and observe a lot and so 
Yeah, no, I've seen all that. It's partly why I ended up here is because the geoengineering isn't, uh, doesn't have the same effect here. So because of um, Canada, most of Canada's population lives within a hundred miles of the U S border. And so I would be included in that. And a lot of the geoengineering that I've observed up here for the last 15 years is that they spray up here, but they don't execute a lot of the, call them harp um, anomalies like you probably witnessed with mm. with that. Like so anomalous for a hurricane to make a 90 degree turn kind of thing. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so that's partly why we were up here. Um, yeah, you guys in Missouri, man, it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, so we just don't get in the mountains. This is why I like the mountains. Part of the reason why I like the mountains is that when you're in higher elevations, you don't see the bottom of um, radical weather. So when you think about the climate, you think about the stratosphere down to the the the, the, the earth that we live on, the ground. Um, weather is always the harshest in the lower spots. So for example, um, a hurricane that comes off the ocean, the major point of in impact is either in the ocean or the worst is the is is on the shoreline right that's the place to get hammers hammers the worst and so it's even the same when you think about tornado alley and you think about places like in arkansas and i'm very familiar with your climate i'm we can talk later about this course that i've been building i'm, I'm so familiar with north americans continent now and all the climate and where all the weather happens and all this stuff is that the lower elevation you are the more susceptible you're going to be to radical weather and so um I think you guys are like 600 meters or something in, uh, I forget where you are. In, We're in at 1200 feet. We're at like 1200 yeah, 1, feet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 300 meters. So it's lower, you know, I'm at a thousand meters, uh, which is 3000 feet, right. Uh, 3,300 feet. So, um, yeah, weather. So when it comes to geoengineering kind of this rabbit hole, we opened up is that when they execute geoengineering from harp, the, the the harshest form it comes in is is in the form of either extreme rainfall mm -hmm. uh extreme wind through uh hurricanes or potentially tornadoes or tsunamis or even earthquakes like we saw in turkey recently and um yeah that's why i chose the mountains you know in the bible and even the quran that god tells people to go to the mountains mm -hmm. and so i think there is some something to that um and so based, you know, these days I just go on everything on observation. I don't care about the fucking science. I don't care about anything. I just go, what can I observe with my own eyes as clear as day? And that that's all I need for geoengineering. I, I mean, yeah, you can go and look up, you know, I'm sure your audience is already with us. So I don't even bother have, having to try to defend geoengineering, but I just go on everything on observation. And, and that's been a thing that I've really learned through studying permaculture for as long as I have Precisely. and practice. And so I just go in and, and I look at all this stuff super analytically in a very agnostic way, in a sense that um, I have a super holistic perspective as macro as you can possibly imagine. So people in the permaculture space often think about the holistic context in, okay, your your lifestyle on the land and then how do you integrate with that land base how do you live on it where do you put things buildings gardens mm -hmm. and, and what is the holistic context there for me the holistic context even goes further back as i look at the broader climate but also i include 
the government and all the crazy shit they do. And I also even include the spiritual context. Mm -hmm. I bring my holistic context out to the most macro that my mind can uh, then fathom at this point. We could call it the holistic. <laughs> the, the holistic context or whatever it is, right? And so I look all of it at the same thing and I, I put all of it through the same objective lens. And so I have a super just like agnostic way of looking at all this stuff. And I read socioeconomics the same way. It's like, you know, even right now, I'm building this online course that's basically how to analyze land and geography and climate to find the best place to live. And then how do you, how do you do as much of the data? Um, how do you do as much of the looking um, as possible without having to go and visit a hundred properties? Like what can you learn just by using Google earth uh, climate data, weather data, whatever it is, and then just make some basic observations that can save you time. And um I mean, I look at everything in the U.S. right now in North America, like the cultural stuff too, it is included in that same holistic context mm -hmm. is I just look at all that stuff as, as numbers. And it's like, what's, what's going to be the best place to live to avoid cultural collapse, economic collapse, weather modification, um, off, um, being downstream from big ag or oil and gas or, or whatever it is. I look at all, and, and the fact even that people are so spiritually dead. You know, most people, people, especially people right now who are wearing masks and going to drag queen sexy hour, you know, they're just spiritually dead. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just don't want to be around any of that shit. And so right. I just, that's why we've chosen to live where we do. And, and the chat, the challenge we have is that it's colder. Like I'm, there's still two feet of snow on the ground here and it, it is getting warmer and it's sunnier up in the mountains though, which is amazing. So another thing with the geoengineering is yes, they spray but it has way less of effect on us here. And, um, you know, our, our mutual friend, Owen Benjamin, he's, he's basically downstream from me as far as the prevailing winds. So the prevailing winds come in from the Northwest here mm -hmm. and then they blow Southeast. And so I'll see, I'll, I'll, I'll see a bunch of spraying. Like there was one day I observed an insane amount of spraying. There was about a hundred planes that went over, but it all just blows down to the South east of us and i texted Owen. i was like hey you got a lot of chemtrails coming your way and he was like holy shit and then days later he had a massive weather event like a crazy snowstorm and we had a little bit of it too i got about three inches of snow he got like eight inches of snow mm -hmm. so they yeah. engineered a weather event right around christmas time here we were driving due like due east towards north carolina it's a thousand mile drive and as we were leaving they were like oh big Good big cold friends coming and the entire drive, dude, the blanket of clouds that yes. we were driving into was corrugated perfectly. Yeah, just and just monotonous shapes. That yeah, are just, the, the yeah. interval, and then you could see the dead orgon, like the door, like you'd look at the shape and it would almost like it would make my eyes distort because it yeah, was dude. like one of these, like if you were to take like a Jackson Pollock painting and make it all gray and it was all amorphous and yep. like it was well, like you even yeah well, even you guys in missouri man you guys have been getting hammered i, I i'm friends with um i don't know if you know doug and stacy they have the off-grid channel doug and stacy off-grid anyways doug's a pretty good friend of mine and he told me he hasn't seen the sun in months down there like it's just uh, been so thick we had we had a we had I would say from mid January to mid February was very depressing. My wife was like, why are we here? And then we had a break where we had in 12 days, we had eight days of sun. 
Oh, that's nice. And But this was the test. This was the control. Because even right now, I can look at my sky and I can see blue. And this is why, this is the real question. When they're not spraying, we have a blue sky. Totally. We have abundance when they're not spraying. We have agricultural capacity beyond our wildest dreams. We have photosynthesis. We have vitamin D on our skin. You know, the sunshine creates abundance for humanity in so many ways and there that's this is the assault man like the u.s i mean it's partly another reason i stayed in canada because i could have moved to the u.s a long time ago i've been doing business down there forever i had a corporation down there i could have been in the u.s years ago mm -hmm. and i could have lived in, in any state i wanted to um i stayed up here because canada has less people and there's less like america the whole new world order agenda or a big part of their agenda is to destroy the idea of America. Cause that's all that's left of America at this point. Mm -hmm. Constitution's fucking gone. Uh, the, the, the courts are completely corrupt. The politicians are completely corrupt. The culture is corrupt. The, the, the banking system is, 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 is that all of it is at a max level of corruption and destruction. And the only thing left of America at this point is the idea of the American ideal of like, bootstrap it freedom americana you know i love americana i'm like the i'm a total fucking fanboy of americana that's partly why i'm i've been successful is because i love the american ideal mm -hmm. and it's easy to be successful in canada because there's less people and so you have less competition right and so we generally like, like all of my best friends and associates are in the u.s because those are all my peers you know but but i stayed up here because there's just less assault on us up here. Cause you know, even think about a world war scenario and I don't think there's going to be, a, I think there's a world war, but it's information and psychological and cultural and all those other things. It's, I don't think it's what we're talking about. It's quiet weapons. We're for, talking about for a silent, quiet war. weapons, silent wars. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and they needed, you can't, because if you, if a tactile war, so if the objective of the new world order is to destroy america and the american ideal and i really believe that because it started with the family destroying the family and i just want to demoralize america because if they can demoralize america it's like the last beacon of hope for the idea of freedom in a really generalistic way you know i'm not saying that for everybody that's like i don't i don't need the idea of america for me to desire desire freedom but it is a beacon for a lot of people in the world like wouldn't would you agree with me on on that that sentiment yeah, and I still think, because I've lived all over the world now, I've lived internationally for over 20 years. So, and two, the reason why we came back is actually because after living in all these socialist countries, it was just like, I I need to be around some real men. Yeah. Like, I need to be around, like, guys that are capable, guys that can defend their family. Yeah. guys that want family yeah and like it's mainly just being around what in you know 50 yeah. years ago people would just say a capable capable men yeah you know what i saw in all these socialist countries you might have one or two but the prevailing culture in and of itself is Neutered. so so castrated it's just like yep, yep. so for me coming back here was like a breath of fresh air like we came to visit family in Florida and then saw friends in Georgia. And it was like, there were no masks were being worn. Yeah. You know, people were like, you know, they were just like, and then all the different attorney generals within the United States that like filed suit against the CDC and were like for fraud and all that. I was like, 
if my opinion from what I've seen is, is that the United States in large part has really, if, if the United States wasn't here to actually hold the line and say, you're not going to take our guns, the yeah. whole world would be in a whole, a whole different place. Yeah, exactly. So you agree with me in, on, on that sentiment. Cause like, that's, that's my trip is like, again, is going back to this super macro perspective and that, so my, the, you know, again, going back to sort of geography and place and all that and, and why I chose to live where we are opposed to say where you are, or, you know, I, I'd probably, if I could have my choice of places in the U S I'd probably live somewhere in Arizona or maybe, um, uh, Tennessee or something like that, or West Virginia, but I don't, I wouldn't want to be close to, but when I look at the socioeconomics of that, I go no fucking way, because if there's, if there's a war, DC is the target, right? DC, New York, the whole Eastern seaboard of the United States is where 80% of the, of America lives. Like basically on the other side of the Mississippi mm -hmm. is where most people in the United States live by quite a big number of mag order of magnitude. And so there with it, there comes a political risk, a cultural risk, um, you know, but at the same time you can hide out in these places too. So America has so, has so much space. It's not Europe, you know, Western Europe is like, there's no way I would even consider living in Europe if I was trying to avoid what I see coming mm -hmm. and what what's coming is already what's here. It's just more of the same thing. But so, you know, going back to that kind of thing on the chemtrails and where it started and just the demoralization of America is because America only exists as an idea now. And so if they can destroy the idea of America by completely castrating, as you said, uh, the American ideal, the American man, the American family, then the new world order can have the complete reign of it because it is the last bastion, but it only exists in an idea, but the idea is the last thing. And it's the most important thing really, because without the idea, it's all gone. And then that's our history. That's our culture. I think, I think you would have fun actually in our little neck of the Ozarks, because this is the Boston mountain range. So it's the very, it's the very, I guess you would say we're two and a half hours from the Mississippi uh, river. We're okay, west two and a half hours west or east? West. Okay, because I've got Google Earth open as I'm, as I'm, uh, I'm looking as you tell me. So go ahead. Yeah, and apparently the Boston Mountain Range is, it's actually part of, I, or I don't know how to say this correctly, I think the Mammoth Cave System. Like essentially Missouri is, is built, like what, what we know of as Missouri right now is pretty much over all these massive old, you know, underground cities, cave systems, huge, huge uh, drilling and mining operations. The, the, uh, I've been a massage therapist for a bunch of years now. Mm -hmm. And a big, big deal with that is being grounded. I've never been on ground that's more grounding than here. Wow. Like I, I can hear the diamag. I can hear the, the, the ground current here. Right. Because there's because so much there's so much bedrock here. Totally. Well, there's a lot of soil there too, right? Just it's a it's a this the soil we're we're three hours away from where we had our farm in Arkansas. The soil oh, okay. here is like so significantly deep much deeper than what we had in Arkansas. Oh yeah. We are higher up in the mountains in Arkansas, but there was no yep. soil. Yeah. 
Well, Arkansas gets so much rain that it just washes everything out. Like there's parts of Arkansas that, that I profiled in, in this course we built that get 120 inches of rain a year. That's nothing. <laughs> you, know, I, I, you, know, you know what we got in Costa Rica last year? Well, that's, yeah, okay, sure, the tropics, <laughs> that's different, yeah. But in Costa Rica, your geography allows for free flow of that water in, in place, and, and it's faster, and yeah, um, there's sure. a lot of trees still in Costa Rica. You know, Arkansas and a lot of these places have just been clear-cut and turned into shitty ag land and just clear-cut and left, you know? So, so yeah. much of the... You know, the environmentalists are right in a lot of ways. They're just wrong on climate change. Yes. They're right in that, you know, poor forestry practices, poor agricultural practices. I mean, that's the problem is that the soil is just gone. We don't have much soil. You know, like Joel Salatin has been talking about this for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And it's it's true. Like there's very little topsoil anywhere anymore. And that is when you look at all the other things that are going on economically, socially, culturally, um, and regarding infrastructure with the supply chains and all that. And then you put in, there's really only an inch left of topsoil in the most fertile areas of North America. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And so there's only so much time we have all these big farms. I mean, I'm looking at, um, uh, Missouri here on Google earth right now. And you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parts of Missouri you don't want to live in because you're surrounded by big industrial agriculture. Mm -hmm. There there's a lot of it that is fine though. Like you said, in the Ozarks and stuff like, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, all those farms grow a lot of food for a lot of people. It's not the food that we eat, right. Fortunately. But it's the food that the average people eat that we depend on for all kinds of services, you know, and it's. If, if you don't mind uh, me asking, I, I would still like to like stay out that 30,000 view. Cause I, I yeah, really, yeah. I, I really love the, the meta macro side of things. Totally. If I'm to be honest, I think this is just part of the cycle. Yeah. I like agree it, with that. It, it it's literally part of the cycle. So you say you agree with that. Like we learned this real easy equation in in university. I had, I had a finance degree, so we mainly studied economics. And there was this whole measurement of what they called natural capital. Yes. And once the natural capital, the main, you know, X factor of natural capital was the population because humans are considered natural capital. And there is an equation where it said, well, once the age hits such and such, the average age hits such and such, then that natural capital then diminishes. Yeah. And banks, the banking system, the international banking system, because I'm of the mind just, just privately, that there really are all these corporations that call themselves countries really aren't like countries. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're corporations underneath this, this, 100%. this lending apparatus, this, this fiat apparatus of banking And the banking systems essentially says, okay, people are old. We're going to pull, we're, we're pulling the plug. We're, right. we're going to move, we're going to move all the energy over to where people are young, dumb, and full of cum. Right. And so Asia is that all the BRIC countries are that right now. Like I think the BRIC countries overall 
are half the age of what you know the European and uh, North American populace is. And so it was just, it was so simple to see that. And that was in the mid nineties, I was being taught that like, it, it wasn't a mystery. And it was even like when you have the federal reserve say, okay, this system can only really last about 80 to 90 years, maybe a hundred years if it's on fumes. And then you see everything since 2001 has just been complete and utter shenanigans to keep the illusion of the petrol dollar and all that stuff going right. on. Yeah, so this yep. is just I think it's high time, actually, the cycle like the, what I've what I've 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 come to a, a sense of real calmness because I understand people get what they want and most people externalize authority. So like you want to be resilient and independent. Well, you're making it happen. You're doing yeah, I'm taking responsibility for that authority, right? I'm not handing it off. Precisely. Yeah. And this, I believe this whole realm is here. You either externalize authority and make yep. false idols, or you internalize authority and recognize the kingdom of heavens within and yes. you, and you do it. Yep. That's it. There's like, yeah, yeah. No, and I totally agree with that. Um, I think though, like I would even go more macro than you, you, and you probably have it. in your mind as well, but yeah, th those cycles are there. Um, within the finance world and the sort of geopolitics of it. Um, but I think we are in a time of this awakening thing and we're in this larger spiritual cycle, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think we've had these many times before, and I think we've had many resets before. And I think, you know, you, you look at lost civilizations and you go down the rabbit hole with stuff mm -hmm. like Graham Hancock and, 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 and uh, Randall Carson and guys like that. Atlantis and 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 old civilizations that were super super advanced and all that. I think there's been many times in history where there was a breakaway civilization that came out of, as a result of accumulation of a cascade of many things like social, economic, cultural, um, what have you, um, and spiritual in the sense that. It's only a matter of time. So I, I, I'm not a Christian, but I, but I hold a lot of Christian rooted beliefs and whatever. And, and what I believe is more or less accumulation of my own observations over my own life and my own experiences. And so take it for what it's worth. But, but I do believe that we go th that humanity, if you're born of creation of, of the creator, you're a, you're a part of that creation. And though your, your life experience is to manifest that creation in a variety of different ways, like whatever, whatever blows your hair back really. And, but it is to create. And so as we become um, super creative and productive in our own capacity, and we become like, sh we shed our limit, we shed limit limiting beliefs and all this, and we transcend and we kind of come back to who, what we actually are. And that realization is super empowering. And I think history is is a sort of a big cycle or a spiral if you will of playing this game of forget where as as um human development creates things that create comforts and trappings for men we have to kind of come full circle to realize that we're these powerful creative beings that can transcend all this stuff but we go we do that in cycles and i think this game of the this sort of this long run that the Anglo-American establishment has had 
you know, particularly with um, the Rockefeller family taking over industry in the United States and creating the petrodollar, as you said, and whatnot, has been has been this, and, and also creating big pharma and big ag has been this game of forget people. Let's get, let's get you to forget. Let's get you hooked on shitty, uh, you know, high fructose corn syrup and, and, and just the, and porn and and all the trappings of Western civilization, social media, whatnot. That's getting you to go in further and further and further into the onion, the layers of the onion, or getting you further out on the on layers of the onion to forget what you are at the source. And I think these cycle, this cycle that we're in is that it's only a matter of time until people wake up and that can only last so long. And so it's kind of like when you get into the truther space of like the new world order, they rebrand themselves all the time because they get, they get caught, you know, like they can only hide under so many organizations for so long until they get caught. And so we're in another one of these cycles where humanity is realizing what it is and what mm -hmm. it's part of. And then now the new world order is going full tilt with chemtrails, with, you know, drag queen sexy hour, with just demoralization, with rising crime rates, you know, manipulating the attorney generals of all these states so that they don't prosecute repeat offenders. You name it, just go down the litany of all the demoralization. And so we're in this dichotomy cycle of humanity waking up versus an onslaught to prevent you from waking up. Mm -hmm. Well, the beautiful thing about, you know, corruption is this corruption breeds incompetence so i see a lot of the the processes that are full tilt yes yeah you know, my friend my friend dr daniel she told me this years ago and it really relaxed me <laughs> there's two things that really relax me because i've been in this world for quite a while and then she said dude it's a den of snakes that eats itself she's like yeah Dude, she's the, like the proverbial image of the she's like She's like, do your thing, be aware, but you don't have to worry about the, about the top of the pyramid. They're, they're off in each other. They're doing so many things behind, totally. the, behind the scenes. They're like no demon loves another demon. <laughs> no, they all hate each other and they'll all sell each other out. Precisely. And so that's to our benefit. But yeah, I, I share your thinking in that I have no fear about any of this stuff um, because fear manifests so many shitty things in your life. There's just, there's really no utility to it, you know? It's, it's better to just not have fear and not have anger and look at all the stuff in the, even in like the, you know, like people that are getting caught up in infighting and stuff right now, there's a lot of talking shit, you know, there's like, even in just the, the call it alternative conservative movement, all these guys that are fighting with each other and talking shit. And so I think this whole thing, this whole spiritual um, evolution that we're going through is, is an inverted thing on as above, so below as, as what's happening here as an enlightenment guys like you and I are connecting and, and a lot of people that are listening to us are really resonating with what we're talking about. And the flip side, there's this complete degeneracy and that the degeneracy isn't just manifested in people. It's manifested in a psychosis that a lot of people feel the need to be drawn into negative things, talking shit, mm -hmm. getting in fights with people and whatnot. That is that energy will pull you down. And I think a lot of people in our space, our greater space, if you will, of people that we know are getting sucked into this and yeah. it's, and it's, and it sucks. And I, and I tell people all the time, like, fuck it, move on. Who cares? Just, just like go to the next thing, like Precisely. be bigger, be better, 
Um, it's not worth it. People are going to talk shit. People are going to say negative things. Who cares? Let them do that. That's on them. And that's their baggage, not yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Silent weapons for quiet wars also pertains to propaganda and AI. Mm -hmm. Like AI. Well, AI I, is the scary piece now. Yeah. I, I just heard, like, uh, I was talking to a, a, a very educated friend of mine last night and he was telling me what he's seeing because he's been in the the alt media world for a very long time and he's saying like the chat bot attacks that they're getting in their in their like have what they're having to deal with with their servers what they're having to deal with with just like with the attack within the community and then what I'm seeing, like, I'll get these rand rando messages, you know, for about different people that, you know, might be considered, uh, let's just say, not in alignment with uh, the the agenda. And right. I'll just get this like rando message of no, like someone I have never heard of or whatever, and be like, "Don't you think such and such?" And I'm like, "Ah, oh, bot." Yeah, bot, yeah, yeah. Bot, bot. Oh, I mean, have you have you used ChatGPT? Have you tried no. this thing? It's insane. I mean, you, you and and guaranteed it's um it's not like it was the first iteration. It's not like this all of a sudden just appeared. This technology's been around for a while, probably. And so when if you use it and you just see like this is absolutely insane, it can create language in any context, um, which is such a broad statement to say, but it literally is that broad that of course, of course, it's all the like this is why I'm not on social media. Like I don't, I don't have, I don't, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on, I don't post on Twitter. I use YouTube and, you know, I, I respond to the comments sometimes, but that's about as far as it goes for me. I go, I used to be on that stuff, but I found myself getting trapped into arguing with people that are insignificant in my life. Right. About, about something that makes no difference, whether I convince them of this thing or the other is not going to move the needle for anybody, not even myself. In fact, it's going to move the needle less because I'm sitting here wasting time doing this than creating in my own life precisely so you, it's yeah the, you the figured it out yeah. <laughs> dude yeah i i like go i had i had a podcast in 2014 and i let it go because even back then i was like oh this whole thing is is being circumvented like i was watching it back then occur and then i was like oh because yeah it, it was kind of fun being in an area of the world where there was no social media at all because there was no internet. Yeah. Right. And then like seeing the simplicity of life, like from 2007 to 2011 or 12, I didn't have internet. Wow. <laughs> and that's like during that period of time, you know, the iPhone came out and all that. I was yeah, like, right. literally didn't have any cell phone or any internet. I had to go to town to go to the internet. So I feel very fortunate that I was kind of placed in an, an environment, a control where it was just like, yeah. Hey, life is great. And yeah, you missed, you missed the wave, the, the, the big, the big push. See, I've been in it and, and I'm in it less now, but I mean, I still, like I make a living online. My whole, my whole um, thing is online and uh, yeah. So it's, I see it and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to not, <laughs> I'm, I, eventually I'm going to just disappear from all this stuff. Once I, once I'm completely set up, I mean, I'm keen to document what I'm doing for a while um, to inspire people, but eventually I'm just going to just get away from all this shit. Cause I don't, 
I don't like, I don't really care what everybody, whatever, what everything is going on. Like, I don't, I, I, I need, I know the agenda enough now because I've been into this stuff for so long that I can see exactly where it's going and I don't have to have a perfect timeline, but I know where it's going. I look at trends. I can, like I said, I'm very agnostic with the way I view all this information, and all these things happening. And I go, there's no way. Like I, I don't want to, I don't, it's getting to a point where I don't even, I don't care at all what any of the truthers are saying. I don't care what any of the new shit. Did you see what this politician said? Or this? It's like, it's irrelevant to me because it, for one, it doesn't impact my life immediately here. And another, I just don't care because I know the agenda. So why would I even want to like subject myself? Because I, I think we're going into a phase of this. The next little phase we're going to see over the number of years is that the demoralization is just going to get so much more insane. And I think it's going to start making people lose their mind. And I think people already are losing their mind about it. And I think the sort of Anglo-American establishment would love to see a civil war in America. They'd love to see the ideologies just go so at head to head um, that that's where they would like it to go. Well, will it go there? I don't know. I hope not. Um, but I know that I'm not running into Babylon to tell people that Babylon's burning. Right. And so I'll, I'll, I'll tell, I, I can do it from the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need to, I don't need to get involved in a January 6th thing, you know? And, and when you look at the way people are getting railroaded and stuff, it's because they, they were, and, I follow, uh, I've been learning the law for a very long time and I've learned a lot about equity and, you know, I think a better system in law could be created eventually like a natural law system, but, but I also really understand the way statute law works and ecclesiastical law and things like that. And, and the roots in common law. And I figured out how to navigate it so that it doesn't impede me. Um, but I've also set it up so that I can just be out of the way of people. And I'm not worried about these 15 minute cities. I'm not worried about undrip and all these right. things that truthers are freaking out about. I'm not worried about any of it. Cause like, it's all so simple, but how, people, yeah. Go ahead. How did you navigate everything with your children? Well, I don't know if I want to get into those details on a public talk and a private talk. I'd, I'd tell you. Okay. Um, just because, you know, they're, they're your kids, you know, it's a serious yeah. thing to put out there, but there is, I mean, in a nutshell, what I will tell you though, is that the commercial system for 99.9% .9 of things that, and you, you know what I mean when I say yes. commercial system, right? Yeah. You get all that. Cause you've known Cal, you interviewed Cal and you've been in, in power. You were telling me and stuff is you can get remedy for 99.9% .9 of the things that you want to do in your life. You can get straight in the box. You just have to know the principles on how to find it. And then you can find those solutions fairly quickly. You don't have to read mountains of statutes like lawyers do because they're compartmentalized. Lawyers don't actually get the big picture. They just get procedure and they understand mm -hmm. procedure. And this goes to here and this and so on and so forth. And so we've been able to use it that way. Like for many years, when I first met Cal, which I've, I've known Cal since 2014, and I got involved in a process with him in, at that time, it was a, it was a collective action notice of liability, basically that had some incredible results and was kind of my first foray into this stuff. Um, is, uh, 
you don't. So for many years, I chased this whole thing of like, you learn about the straw man, right? You learn about the person and the legal fiction and, all, and that leads you in all kinds of ways. And then you learn about how banking is all leveraged off these straw men and these little slavery, little bonds of slavery that we all participate in are all part of this central banking thing so that they can, so that the rich can use debt to create wealth out of nothing, basically leveraging our labor. And I chased all these like big rabbit holes with it, whether it be like a lodial title on land or the person and getting remedy for that. But I found that kind of just by studying kind of Winston Shrout stuff, really, that's where it kind of came from. And, and same for Cal is that within that framework, that matrix they created for some reason, either it's biblical, spiritual, it's equity. I don't know exactly the reason, but they had to create backdoors and everything. And that's why the rich can do all kinds of things that you can't do is because they can hire fancy lawyers to figure those things out. But even those lawyers are somewhat compartmentalized. I mean, sure. I'm sure there's lots of them that aren't, but there's backdoors in all of it. And so I've just found a way that it's easier to use the system mm -hmm. than it is to just be out of it. And so Cal will tell you, Cal's out, like Cal's completely out. And he's one of the few that I know that actually legitimately is. And I actually can show you the receipts. A lot of these truthers in the law space just fucking make up stuff. It drives me crazy. And they make all kinds of claims about this, that, and the other, but they don't have any receipts. They don't have any way to prove to you the claims that they make like this, mm -hmm. like, uh, some of these guys, anyway, I don't need to talk shit, but, but, um, so I found that you can just use it because it's way easier. So it's like the driver's license, for example, well, you have this, this other legal fiction and blah, 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 but it's like, yeah, okay. You can drive without a driver's license. You can do that. That's not that hard to do. However, every time a cop pulls you over, it's going to be a conversation and yeah, you, you'll talk your way out of it and you can, you can do all that but you just wasted an hour and a half and your kid was crying in the back of the seat and it's, it's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So I found that in general for all of this stuff, we just use the commercial re remedy right in the box as the person. And then you can do everything you want because it always comes down to your, what's your holistic context with it. And I think permaculture and all these ideas actually rope really well into the ideas of law and the, and the system and even the legal system and, and all that. And if you apply your holistic context to it and understand some of the big picture things and why certain things are the way they are and how they work, mm -hmm. then you can just apply a framework that gets you remedy without having to read thousands of pages of statutes. If you know where they are based on some principles that I think really comes down to a, a thing called equity in the law and the maxims mm -hmm. of equity. But there are other theories out there why certain things are the way they could, are. I could don't... you touch on equity? Because equity is a very interesting principle. Yeah. So equity is basically like, it's essentially a tradition in law that goes way back. And I think it really did stem from the Bible because my, my belief, and, and Cal Washington would agree with me on this one, is that the Bible is... You know, it's really kind of cheesy in the sense like uh, you've ever heard that acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth, that that's what the Bible means. <laughs> and whether that means that or not, I don't, I don't know. It's just cheesy. But in a way, bear with me for the thought is that if there's this sort of matrix thing that has been created, I don't think it's a 3D game. I think it's a spiritual thing in a way, but there's this matrix and there's some people have convinced you that reality is as thus here's the, here's the rules of engagement and whatever, but there's rules that they had to play by. 
And I believe those rules are mostly outlined in the Bible, in the Holy Bible. And I also believe that it's somewhat outlined in other religious texts too. I know Christians always push back at me on that one, but but bear with me because there's different types of law in different types of parts of the world, like in the caliphate and in, 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 in the Muslim, Muslim world, the system of law is very different than ours, but it's based on the Quran. And so our Western law is based on the Holy Bible. And equity was a thing that came out of traditions out of the Bible. And it was basically things that were like principles that existed in the Bible that come from the Ten Commandments and also come from a lot of the stories in the Bible. And I'm, I'm no Bible biblical scholar at all, not like Cal. Cal's, a, Cal's an unbelievable scholar of the Bible. But equity came out of these traditions that were things that were done a certain way and just became a commonplace. And so and and there's there's a there's many books on it, but there's the one you can get, you can get off Amazon. It's called The Maxims of Equity. And it basically outlines in really simple point form what all these maxims of equity are that just and equity essentially just means what's fair. So what's the fair way to do this based on how things have done? It has it's similar to common law in that way, but it's not common law because common law was a lot of established after the Magna Carta. This stuff was pre, this is mm -hmm. way before Magna Carta. And so, but they're traditions that have been in law and you can look at most jurisdictions in the world that use Western law. They use the uniform commercial code. They use some form of statute law. They'll have an act that says that they follow equity. So in many countries, it's called the judicature acts. Um, I think that's what it might, it might be something similar to like that in the U S I know the U S has equity. Um, and in, in British Columbia here, uh, the a province of Canada, a corporate de facto nation state, uses what was called the the um, Law and Equity Act, and so basically that whole act, in summary, says that all statutes and fictions that are created in the legal fiction system mm -hmm. have to result back to equity. In that, um, you can get caught up in the weeds of the statutes and the procedures and all that. But if you know equity exists, you can always revert back to what's fair. And uh, because people don't know that it exists, they don't try to pursue it. And most lawyers will just always argue things based on a statute basis and, 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 and what's been done in the code or the ordinance. But you can actually access equity. And equity um, basically gives you remedy for almost everything because uh, there's, there's kind of 12 principal maxims of equity that are used that you can see throughout all Western law. Um, you, anybody can just Google them. I won't do it off memory, but some of the ones that are really um, important in, as far as getting remedy in the, st the statute legal system is uh, one that says uh, equi equity will not suffer a wrong without a remedy. And what that essentially means is that any because statute law is color of law, like have you heard that term before? Yes, I have. So like the Bar Association, it's right on their own website, is, is we use color of law. Law is the Bible. Law is actually natural. And we all know it's wrong to murder an innocent person. We all know mm -hmm. it's wrong to commit a crime and damage somebody's property, right? So equity is, is all rooted in that stuff. And, and, and you can have these remedies. So because it's co color of law, it's not law. And so it's fake law. And so... If it's equitable, you have to have a way around fake law. You have to have access to real law. And so mm -hmm. that's one of the main principles that I that I use. If I ever have a bureaucrat come at me for anything, any type of uh, administrative body or whatever, 
and they're coming at me for something that's not fair. Like we just did a remedy for uh, some farmers in Canada uh, and uh, they had this, the county coming after them saying, you need to do this and we're going to come and inspect your property, blah, 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 blah. Well, in in law, in color of law, everything comes down to money, right? It's all mm-hmm. about the money. It's all about the banks. And so under, um, it, it's equitable, but it's also even in the international treaties that you cannot, that you are not obligated, even as a person, as a corporation, doesn't any fiction, you're not obligated to perform without compensation. And so no government bureaucrat has the authority to demand you to do X, Y, Z without fair compensation. Mm-hmm. And so if you know that from a principled standpoint, then they can't make you do anything and they can try and you can play a game with them back and forth, but you can stand your ground. And so equity in a way, it, it just comes back to all these things. Like another one is equity doesn't aid a volunteer it means if you took the shot, the information is out there. You're it's on you. Exactly. You're liable, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, 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 um, another one is uh, he who seeks equity must do do equity. And that means that if you want equity and fairness in law, you also have to be equitable and fair. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking for an equitable outcome from a judge, but you were a dick and you did some stuff that you shouldn't have done, you're not going to get equity. Mm-hmm. You're going to get the, 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 they're going to throw the book at you. So in a sort of a long winded way of explaining it, that's, that's what equity is. And, and it's basically the, it's the foundation of all remedy in law. So I don't, in public forums, I don't tell people how to get specific remedy. This is how you don't pay taxes. This is how you don't do this or this and that. But it's it, the principles are there. And and I I I think one of our th- missions on this earth is to transcend the system because I think the legal system, as it's been created, is a big is a big part of this matrix. Yes, it's this big part of this fabricated reality. Mm-hmm. And so the test, God's test, is can you go in and get out? Right. Yeah, because it creates all the securitized debt. Yeah. And so, you know, once you start to understand bonding, bonds, yep. <laughs> bonding, securitized debt, and I, I'm in complete concurrence with you on this, looking at this. My wife, my wife is, ever since I turned her on to the law, she's kind of taken the torch for our family. And she's right there with you, like – everything that we do we do within the commerce law aspect we just know we just know who we are <laughs> well it's, it's 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 just this is right out of the bible you're in the world but not of it but not of it exactly and so that's exactly it and that's where that's where the law becomes see the way i see it too is because then pe- people get really hung up on and i used to be the same way you get hung up on an ideological stance on it and that you go well it's all bullshit. If I'm a creator, why should I have to do this? Why do you do any of this? But the, the reason you have to do it is that you're not the only one playing the game here. And, right. and this, and so I've actually become quite complacent. This is not the right word, but been comfortable and not fearful of the system. And I don't get hung up on the injustices in the law because there's a lot of dumb people out there mm-hmm. and, and most people are dumb. And I think like I consider myself an anarchist in the sense that I'm I'm the kind of guy that takes so much responsibility for my life and what I do that I don't need the state in the same way that some precisely some urbanite living in Memphis, Tennessee who just wants welfare programs does, right? Mm-hmm. And so I believe in the state for them. 
And I believe the state and all the statutes and legal ordinances and all that are important for them because they do not have the capacity to live outside of their, um, you know, their unwillingness to step up and take responsibility. And so the system's there for them. It's not there for me. I, and I, and that's where I feel just in that I can do things that the average person can't. And that's, I worked for that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, the, uh, th this, this is why I don't think it's even worth giving remedies to people because it's like, if you can't figure it out, then you're not worthy of it. Yes. Like, and, and, and that's, that's a hard thing. If you are a total collectivist and you think, well, what, what's right for me must be right for everybody else. Like people who trip on me for like, yeah, you're living off grid, but everybody can't do that. I'm like, of course they can't. Everybody's right. going to eat bugs. That's not my problem. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's the same thing. And so I, I don't know. I, I feel I kind of have a peace with it so much now because I figured things out and been able to get what I want that I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really that hard. And, and certainly meeting guys like Cal gave me a, a quicker way through it where he put, you know, 30 years in, but yeah. It's, it's, it's great that you said that it kind of exercises diva. I've been dealing with a, a, a potential client and they're like, keep trying to lowball me. And I'm like, look, I could build this for myself at the cost that you want. Right. Cause I have the skill and the know-how and know the people <laughs> you're hiring me because you don't have that. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost what it costs. Like, yeah. like, come on, like get real. You don't actually have the capacity to do what you want. So you yep. need somebody that does have the capacity to do what you want. And yep. that's something like, I mean, geez, like there's so many people I come across in the new age movement that are, that have this collectivism, like in ingrained in the brain. I know. It's just like, I can't stand it. it's like, no, we're not equal. We don't have equal capacities. We're all like, we all have our own individual life path and we all have our own capacities for things like, get real like god would be yeah. bored if we were all the same it's it's a diverse, exactly it's a diverse playing field <laughs> yep it I, is your your outlook in the way you see this is is so wonderful and it's so refreshing and it it it's it runs parallel with a lot of the way i see it because uh, you know are, are you friendly with tom barnett Do you oh know totally tom? oh yeah. i love tom yeah he's yeah. he's great yeah Cause you know, at first you get like, well, I'll speak for myself. Like when I was first starting to understand, oh my God, this is all, you know, all the, the matrix of the law and the money and all this stuff. I had anger, you know, is it, but I still had the victim consciousness. Yeah. And then after years and years and years of letting go of the victim consciousness, it was just like in those same years, building skills to make myself resilient. It was just like, oh. Now I'm in a, in a framework in, in, a, in an environment where I don't even ever, I mean, rarely, if ever even come across the forces that would try and, you know, have agency over me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They, you don't even exist. The only way I see it is the chemtrails. Exactly. And that's what <laughs> that's, let's get into that. Cause that, I still want to, I still want to get into that because for me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my whole house a massive orgone accumulator. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across orgone accumulators or cloud busters or. Yeah, I've, I, a little bit. 
yeah. familiar with Wilhelm Reich. I know I saw you boiling vinegar. We've tried that in the area. It has not the boiling the vinegar thing has not worked here. Really? No. I wonder if it's so. You know, it's it's so hard to because like our contexts are so different. I'm up high, and I'm really you're high up high. Up you're in a but much. It, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable up here. It literally works every time I do it. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, we've had three different experiments. It hasn't worked once. Wow. But it's also, they're like, I told you, we've had two weather fronts that have come through that were completely artificial. Like, I really think this winter was completely just indeed. Totally artificial. It, I, I, absolutely. And so I'm wondering, uh, I have so many different ways I could go with this. I'm wondering what is the actual cycle? Like what is the 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 non-synthetic cycle that we're actually in? Like is it just a much more mild like sort of temperate cycle and they're just trying to keep old man winter and all the storms and stuff around because literally Probably. Cuz when they don't spray we have blue skies and sun. I know. And it's like that. It's like that everywhere. It was, it was like insane. that. It was like that in Belgium when I lived there. It was like that in Southern Spain. It was like that, yeah. you know, in Costa Rica, like Costa Rica, they cloud seed all the time there. They've been doing it for a long time, man. Like I, I, I've been observing it for 20 years. Yeah. 20. But it's really interesting. I was actually, I was looking at old photos last night on, um, uh, a website that had that that has all these old photos of cities and like oh. particularly the city I used to live in Kelowna, and I was looking at all these old photos going back to the 1940s and stuff, and it was pictures of the sky, and it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even the early 90s. You didn't see it, but I started to see it in the late 90s. Yes, I started that's when to I notice it. it, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's I just, know, I, I think I, it's, yeah. I was a Florida boy. I, I get a scholarship to go to Michigan State. Michigan is just cloudy and yucky. Like I think Lansing, Michigan has <laughs> has the second most days of cloud, you know, just because of the lake effect. Oh yeah, right. And so course. every time I would head back to Florida, I was like, Yay, thank God for sky. And I remember it was nineteen ninety-six. I come home for spring break and I was so depressed because it's March spring break i'm in fort lauderdale and i look up at the sky and i'm like where did my sky go oh like i was like what's going on like where's the yeah. blue sky and yeah. it, and i thought it was pollution because that's what they were conditioning with conditioning us in university was pollution 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 but in florida you have such good trade winds exactly it's not, it's not like the the pollution would ever stick around that's right and, and I, I kind of believed it just because, you know, I was young and naive and I was just like, oh, pollution. Oh, no, we're killing the world. I shouldn't have any babies. Yeah. Um, but this is different. Like what's what's occurring now? I, I recognize them in a different environment is like, OK, you know, it's like I'm not ignorant to what what they're doing. And I, I, I think I have an idea of the technology that they're using for it. And I have build built cloud busters before that work and i don't know how that works <laughs> i don't even know don't like either. we we've done orgone like put orgone accumulators in cars and like you know with a dead tap like not even you know barreling into the into the into the uh air intake or anything like that just like with a single line and just tapped it to the engine 
So there's no entryway into the engine for any gas or anything. And the engine runs, you know, 20, 30, 40% more efficient. So there's something that occurs when you can create orgone that enhances. That's the best way I can say it enhances whatever activity is going to go on. Like we've got that we've got them to resonate in a way that where the heart opens and your heart just like, whoa, I got I got it. If, if you have time, I don't even know if you ever interview people or want to talk to a fellow Canadian. Um, I have a good friend who invented this this organ accumulator called the Mojo cell, and it's a spherical Joe cell. And uh, he's a brilliant man. He's a he's a uh, naturopathic doctor, homeopath. He's he's from Canada. Great guy. He's a good. Where, friend of where does he where where does he live? He's in Tennessee now. Oh, he's in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He has a homestead in Tennessee, uh, in eastern Tennessee. So it's just like oh, yeah. North Carolina, Tennessee. Yeah. He's essentially in North Carolina. Yeah. Right. Beautiful, beautiful area. And um, yeah, these cells that he invented, you know, they hold about a liter of a water and we've played with all these different ways of actually charging them and getting, getting them to emit whatever they're going to emit, but they have incredible effects on your health, on your consciousness. They wow. just, they just enhance things. Wow. And I've always been a big water buff and that's part of the reason why I got into biochar for like cleaning my right. own water and stuff like that. Yep. But I, I, I'm kind of feeling like there has to be sort of like, there has to be something larger going on with the onslaught of what they're doing. I don't I know agree. if they, I, I don't yeah. know if, I don't know if it's just a seasonal thing. I'm just, I'm just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what well, sticks. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it 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 certainly has more of an effect in the winter than it does in the summer. In the summer, uh, and I actually, it's I record. I have a really cool weather station on my property now, and I record everything. I record the amount of light coming in, um, wind direction, wind speed, humidity, rainfall, snow, uh, temperature, everything. And because um, I like looking at data, and it's just amazing how much light more light we get and so this this thing measures light and it's some it's some um it's called lux i don't know what this yeah. stands for i don't know what it is but it measures it in this this unit of lux and it's insane as i watch coming out of january how much higher it gets day in and day out uh as we get into summer and it's it's basically going to be this big bell curve in in summer and then coming and this this isn't about the daylight hours either it's not it's not in relation to how much uh how much daylight you get in a day it's how much is coming in at any moment and it is significant how much more comes in in the summer and so it, it it's like they they can weather modify it seems like it works better when it's colder mm -hmm. it seems to have more of an effect when it's colder that's what i've observed but yeah, I mean, the big play with it, I, I mean, is it some weird geoengineering thing? I don't know. I, I think it, uh, not geoengineering, but uh, um, a terraforming thing or something like, are they, are we, are they trying to just modify our entire world to, to make it more habitable for somebody else and less habitable for us? I, I don't know, but and I wouldn't even pretend to know, but it's just, I see it. And I mean, the vinegar works for me here. It's certainly keeping me sunny most of this winter, which has been amazing. It got to a point where when it got too cold, it wouldn't 
have the same effect in this or for the same time. But like in the summer, I'll put it out and they've been spraying all morning and it'll literally clear an air, an area that's huge around us, like a 10 kilometer area. But in the wintertime, I'll do it and it'll make a break, just like a break above us, which it'll, it'll amount for something. It will bring in more light, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have the same effect. And so, and again, I have no idea why or how that works. I heard about it from Amanda Vollmer and then oh, my cool. wife did. And, and we just started doing it. It was like, holy shit, this works all the time. Like, this is amazing. We've burned through like a hundred uh, four liter bottles of vinegar this just this winter alone. Or not the winter, maybe between now and the fall, but in their two bucks each, right? So me yeah. spending 200 bucks on vinegar has given me a shitload more solar power in the time I need it the most mm-hmm. and has made it warmer in my greenhouses. So that, that would <laughs> be so, such a yeah, funny That'd be such a funny loop in over unity circles to be like, okay, I, I use vinegar to, to get over unity with my system. And people will be like, what, what do you mean? You can burn vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. Not not in the way you think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to make, I noticed I got into dome building and I didn't know why I was building domes for a while. Cause it was extremely frustrating to do, especially in the tropics. And I got this spiritual hit one day. It was just like, oh, uh, domes bring water. You're, you're building domes because it brings water and we're going to need water. And I was like, oh, okay, because that makes sense. I got into dome building actually because I love Shaw Burger and I love the whole idea of an egg water tank and mm-hmm. all this cool stuff. And I was like, okay, I can relax into this now. And I've evolved my designs and stuff like that for domes. and and just looking at like okay the way i look at a dome it's just half of a sphere right if have you ever heard of the 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 um process in nature called structured cavity effect no it could be structure it could be cavity structure effect so apparently all insects and birds and stuff like that navigate not because they're receiving a signal, not because they have a little magnetite in their head or a compass or anything like that. The way that they can actually find and go to places is because there's a cavity that they have within them that has a corollary cavity in nature. And they're, because those shapes are the same, there's a there's like an internal uh there's a resonant pattern and they can find the resonance it's just like if you hit a tuning fork and then another one goes they they can see a thing that we can't basically right so but it's it's the cavity it's like if you're to if you're to take a tuning fork and like make it a negative shape and make that a cavity there'd be another hollow tuning fork somewhere else so that's the cavity right and so right (laughs) <laughs> it's this amazing thing. And it, as I understand it, the different shapes of, of buildings and things like that, they carry different resonant patterns. So I'm just, and I look at how like the different, like the big, uh, what's it called? The Nexrad. Have you seen the Nexrad antennas, what they look like? No. Oh, dude, it's a ball. It looks like a. It looks like what Tesla used to make. It's like yeah. It's like, okay. I was gonna say, is it sounds like a Tesla thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally like this. You know, you have this column, this tapered column, 
that comes to a full circle disc. And then on top of it, it has this either looks like a, a, a very, very large golf ball or something like that, like a little Okay, okay. Epcot ball. Okay, And, yeah. and they put them on these ships. I mean, they're so obvious when you see them. I saw, I saw an inverted one actually in, in, uh, when we were driving through Kentucky, it was so odd. We were in this valley and going, and I Wow. saw, I saw one in and sunken down and I was like, whoa, it kind of was like the Arecibo array in Puerto Rico. You know how it's in that valley and they have like the, the quote unquote radio telescope going out. Right. Sure. <laughs> so it was sort of like that. It was, I was like, whoa, okay. So I'm literally on that corridor. That's just, that's due east of me. And I think that's why the, the weather modification here is so intense because wherever they, those next rad guys are, they're using these spherical emitters. I mean, I'm just making this shit up as, <laughs> cause that's what it is. It's spherical and it's emitting something, a long Wow. longitudinal wave. And I'm kind of feeling like my home isn't going to be a dome home. It's going to have curves because I love building with curves. But I'm going to actually make the structure in and of itself a resonant structure. Have you uh, ever come across the work of Tanya Harris? I don't think so. She's this artist from Ireland that figured out how to make a cymatic pattern. the resonant frequency of a structure. So she reverse engineered how you actually find the resonant, the, the under underlying resonant signal of structures. Wow. And you'll like this because you're a musician, you know what you do. And also all the meditators, I tell this, they like, no way. So, and I'm, I'm greatly reducing her system, but what she'll do is she'll go into a, a structure she'll record the silence of the structure Uh-huh. for a specific interval Yeah. and then she records the silence again for a, a, another set interval and then she records it again for another set interval and i think she does seven different intervals She does like, takes a, a pattern and an average or something like that out of that. yeah she i mean she i think it's a i don't think she's ever shared like the full How exactly it works. Yeah, it might Right. be one of these patented things or whatever, but then she'll play it back to the structure. She'll play Yes. the silence back to the structure And it and cancels then, it out. yeah, and then measure the the vibratory pattern that's coming off of it. And then Wow. what she would do is, is she would take that that vibration and then on a cymatic, like essentially like a a twelve or fifteen inch woofer, create a cymatic pattern out of that. Wow. And she saw that there, I think she did it with six or seven different cathedrals through the British Isles, that that Yeah. cymatic pattern that was created was actually, in, for the most part, exactly what the rose window was of the cathedral. Wow. Right? That's amazing. Yeah, that's some that's some ancient technology shit right there. I met I met a guy, a, I met an engineer who was from Sweden once and he was a they did a t similar technology on the trains and to make them quiet where they, they, they played back a reversed sine wave that canceled out the sound of the train and the train is crazy technology, but 
Wow. Dude, I have a hard stop in a few minutes here because I have another podcast coming up and I got to get something to eat before I do it. No problem, my man. Thank you, Curtis, for coming on. If you tell everybody where you're at, tell them about your app. Oh yeah. Okay. Let me, let me, yeah, let me do that. Um, cause I have, I've done a lot of things over the years. Um, people can, you know, people want to see where I post content. It's from the field.tv, but yeah, we've built this really cool course that I think a lot of people in your audience would like. Uh, it's essentially, it's how to find land. And so the, the course is, is going to be called, um, how to find our, uh, what is it? Finding the, finding your perma or no, finding your perfect property, something like that. The website is um, homestead.freedomfarmers.com. And it's just a landing page right now to get emails. We're still building the course. It'll be ready to launch in April. But basically, I teach people how to recognize patterns in geography and climate and source the data and basically look for an ideal property to live in. And so the course is me kind of going through a bunch of um, principles and a framework that I've used because I did this in consulting for 10 years, basically. And now I'm just out here. You guys figure it out. You can find your own best property by just using observation and 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 uh, a framework. And so we use the um, PA Yeoman's layers of permanence or scales of permanence, mm-hmm. which looks at geography through these 11 layers and goes, okay, what's hardest to change and what's easiest to change? Climate is hardest to change. Geography is second. Water, third. Socioeconomics, fourth. And it goes all the way down. So we use this framework to show people how to evaluate property and land just by looking at these layers and you can use Google earth to do most of it. And so, yeah, people will probably, if they want to get out of the city and they want to move to somewhere like you are in the Ozarks, beautiful country, places like that. And you want to find ideal property, check it out. It'll be up. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's homestead.freedomfarmers.com. And so that's where people can see my latest thing. Otherwise they can find me on YouTube. I'm still there. Uh, miraculously. And um, yeah, from the field.tv is our member site where we post all of our kind of long form educational content. Awesome, Curtis. It's been such a blast. And we didn't even get to touch on biochar. Oh, dude, we'll do it again. I, I, I might interview you for my podcast. I just, I, I've taken a break from the podcasting, but um, after connecting with you and a few other people recently, I've been feeling a little bit more inspired to do it. So we'll have another conversation again. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Hey, brother. Yeah, man. My pleasure. See you soon. Yeah. Take care. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed Curtis Stone. As you can see, his uh, his mind power <laughs> kind of uh, permeates every single thing that uh, this man touches. He he has the golden touch uh, that I would say, as my Jewish clients call it, the Yedei Sahav, the the golden hands. Um, it's a it's a wonderful thing to know that you can make your environment productive. I uh, I I'm in awe. I I've been watching his videos and I'm just like, man, if I can get to that level of proficiency, uh, I will be a real man. <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful goal to attain to. Uh, there's this common thread that's occurring. Uh, through all these podcasts, uh, I've done a few that are that are in the in the can, as they say, and there's there's this need to be able to harness our environment and then to also lay claim to our local environment. So really, 
really be sure. Like if you have to go through these older podcasts or check out the people that I've, I've had on the podcast, whether it's Curtis Stone, it's Sophia Smallstorm, it's Dr. Tom Cowan, Dr. Moshe Daniel, you know, Cal Washington, all these cats, Owen Benjamin, the one thread that everybody has is that they're all hedging against the loss of convenience and they're hedging against the loss of convenience by making their little kingdom as productive as possible. So really take that to heart. Uh, spring is springing. And so get, you know, we got all of our starts. I uh, got my seeds from uh, Grateful Harvest Seeds. I had some left over from last year. We're going to use those up this year. Uh, getting the biochar reactor up and running. So uh, guys got to get to it. There's so much going on. And um, yeah, we're, we're going to be bringing you more, more productive people, people that can really uh, help you uh, succeed with your, your claim to the abundance that your creator gave you. So thank you for joining us. Uh, please support the podcast if you can at uh, go to toferhq.com. And on toferhq.com, there's a donations page. If if that if if this feels like it's a, it's a source of abundance for you, that'd be wonderful for you to uh, reciprocate. And uh, please share and like and do all the things. Like we don't do any of the social media stuff other than Telegram. So uh, if you feel so inclined, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week. I believe next week I will have Sophia Smallstorm on. So she's a hoot. So enjoy your week and uh, we'll see you soon. I can tell.